Welcome to episode six of the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about mental health and well-being. Our guest this week is Jane Brearley, founder and CEO of Intent Health. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the form guide. This is uh, my sixth form guide, and uh, I, I can't believe you know we we put this on this year, and um, we're up to you're our sixth guest. That is the sixth piece of eighties music that we've uh, we've played. Um, so welcome. Um, it Thank is great you. great to have you here. So Jane, you are founder and CEO of Intent Health, uh, an agency founded on diversity, inclusion, and representation. And I'm keen to hear uh, more about that and a bit about your background. Um, but let's start with you and um, the question that we always uh, we always start with at this part of the show is, how are you today? So I'll share first. I'm a, I'm a seven out of 10 on the form score. Um, I've been a consistent eight for a few days and I woke up with this kind of long COVID headache that just knocked me down a notch. So underlying form is pretty good, but I just got one of those headaches that I just can't shake, um, which is just affecting my mood a little bit, but delighted to be here with you. But what, what's your score today, Jane? So I would say I'm a rocking an eight today. I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit nervous, but you know, you and I know each other well. So this will be fine. And I'm just going to pretend that nobody's watching. So that's fine. <laughs> that's, that's right. And what's, what's driving that eight for you? Really amazing team. Fantastic um, atmosphere that we've created in the team. I think um, the thing for me, and I know we'll talk about it later, but I've employed 15 people that I've never met face to face. Right. And, wow. and it's really sad. Um, and I think the excitement of, building an agency is what's driving me forward but my massive desire is for us all to get together and be in the same place and actually meet each other you know it's mad it's just mad uh, it's the kind of the world that we're we're dealing with I mean I think what do you think it will be like when we when we when you do get together with those 15 people do you think it'll be like I, there, there will be ma I will cry <laughs> there's no getting away from that it will be massively emotional for me um you know we've we've built something that is incredible but we are missing the human connection with each other right um and you know i well certainly for me hmm. it will be there'll be tears all around right which is fine yeah. i'm a crier and i just have to go with it yeah i mean i think it, it will be really really emotive when we start re-entering the physical world and, and and rebuilding those those social connections for you know, people that we're actually close to, but we've never met. And it's a, it's a bizarre, yep. bizarre time. I've, um, I, I got the, uh, out of the blue this week, I got a text uh, inviting me for my first jab, for my first vaccine. Amazing. Was, and I'm like, I wasn't expecting that for months. So I, I don't know whether it's because of my mental illness that I'm, I'm actually up the list. But uh, yeah, so Saturday, I'm going to get my jab, which feels really, really exciting. Yeah, it is. That's amazing. Really good. So so eight out of 10 being driven by kind of connections. Um, good afternoon, sort of John and Nesha on the chat. Great to see people tuning in on the live. Um, what would be a perfect 10 day for you? And, and for me, the perfect 10 is a, it's a bit of an ideal. The kind of stars need to be in align, alignment. You know, everything needs to be going your way. And, and it might happen once or twice in a lifetime, you know, lifetime. But what would be your perfect 10 day? What would cause you to go from an eight to a 10? That's a really hard question. Mm. I guess if my kids are watching, I should say a day with my bickering teenagers would be. Um, but it is, it's about family. It's about friends. It's about 
but also for me actually a bit of a 10 out of 10 day is taking my I used to take myself out for lunch on my mm. birthday just me and a book um and that's really nice and just having some time that is just my time um so a combination of both maybe I'll go out for lunch and then I can have a drink with the family in the afternoon I love that you know take yourself out for your for your birthdays it used to be Jane Day used to call it Jane Day used yeah. to go and sit take Jane. a good book have a glass of wine have a nice meal and <laughs> not have to talk to anybody <laughs> fantastic well I've got a birthday coming up it's um, on the 5th of March and um, I'm also as you know in, in putting on and hosting the Inside Out Awards and uh, later in March and so I've decided on my birthday I'm going to throw a DJ party um, to test a little bit of the platform I'm using, what it's like to DJ on with guests, um, but to have a uh, a bit of a bash, like late Friday nice. afternoon, you know, a bit, um, of a dance. bit of a dance, a bit of a boogie and, and, and get going there. But I love that idea of uh, taking yourself out for lunch. It's brilliant. Right. So we're going to get into the quick, the quick fire round and this is nothing you can yep. prepare for. Um, okay. If you've, uh, if you've seen any of the shows before, you might have got an insight, but it it's all around if you were if mental health were a thing what would it be and i want to give you a few different things right um so you just just the first thing that comes into your head or take your time um we've got anna on the um uh, anna corving on the chat by the way wants to come to the birthday party absolutely uh, lucy allen absolutely i'll uh, send out some links very soon very soon so first one on the quick fire round uh, jane if mental health were an animal what would it be mm. I don't know what's coming into my head is a hedgehog I don't know why um, because I think it's about obviously the prickly bit but obviously there's the wanting to hibernate and sleep and you know just hide I absolutely love that the mental health hedgehog the prickly bits on the outside the kind of protective bit um but that kind of you know caring for oneself and wrapping up warm in a, in a hibernation i love it the mental health hedgehog we've had some brilliant answers to this by the way we've had um the mental health cockroach because it's a very resilient uh, okay. creature you know it can yep. survive without a head my one is the kind of the octopus because it changes color uh, to express its mood and is a very yep. very complicated animal um but i love the hedgehog very good very good Okay, so if mental health were a colour, what, what colour comes to mind for you? Oh, purple. Purple? Why purple? No. See, you can tell I'm going to do PR fluff now because it's a combination of red and blue. There you go, Rob. <laughs> I've been doing the PR a long time, my friend. <laughs> That's right. You, you're going to be great at this round, I understand. A combination of red and blue, brilliant. Um, it's a lot of love for the birthday bash and a lot of love for taking oneself out of uh, for, for, for birthday lunch, by the way. So uh, I think Good. we're ins inspiring a few ideas there. Um, purple. Yeah. So um, for, uh, we've had a kind of a few blues and a few yellows for the kind of the sunny day. Uh, but I like that. I like purple. So if mental health were a food, what would it be? Mm. Something that. Oh, this sounds really weird, but I'm going to say it anyway. Something that's really bad for you, but you, in a perverse way, really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, stodgy, cakey thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're definitely getting comfort food for the answers to this. We've uh, the one I've really liked is the burger, the you know, because it's 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 quite messy, uh, but you get into it. It's it's, it's delicious if yep. you're if you're obviously if you're a meat eater, um, or not as the case may be. Okay, so if mental health were a song, um, what what uh, springs to mind for you? One song. I don't know. Now we've talked about ACDC, all I can think about is ACDC, but that's more me coming out of my mental health. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And I think that's, that's, you know, that's definitely relevant. You can have sort of songs that, that, that bring you through your, your recovery and whatever. If it were an ACDC song, which particular one? Um, for those about to rock, of course. Yeah. Yeah. We person. salute you, my friend. My kids are going to be cringing there heads off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely so a couple of others if mental health were a holiday destination where would it be what would it be again this is me being slightly a loner some very remote island in scotland yeah where you can get outside and shout really loudly or you can go inside and sit by the fire and just be at peace yeah brilliant so time time to yourself freedom to to be whatever you 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 need to be in that remote scottish island yeah i love it um final one difficult one this um at least i think it's difficult everyone else seems to find it okay um if mental health were a sound what 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 sound would it be i have no idea is that your final answer so i'm I'm massively triggered by really loud noises. They okay. make me really anxious. So for me, even something as stupid as we used to work next door to a pub and when they used to come and tip out all the wine bottles to the recycling, that makes me jump. It makes me feel anxious. So for me, big noise is and maybe that's why i want to go and live on a scottish island in the peace and quiet right but yeah so so that would be the sort of jarring sound that might might we might translate to kind of mental ill health or some of the challenges yeah. we might face what about the kind of the the more um soothing or nourishing sound that that we would want to hear so for me that's running water running water yeah i was i, I was kind of thinking that as you were talking about that you know if we're in that scottish highland setting with a, a little stream and a, and a beautiful yep. view um, i'm there yeah i can uh, can we can we go now rob would that I, be all right absolutely let's let's do it let's do it do it from there um so we've seen some good form scores on the on the chat uh christopher at eight john at nine which is which is brilliant uh, I've noticed because I do a lot of the form score polls in in talks for organisations, and I've noticed as the the last few days when I've been doing them, we've been seeing a tip up in the average. And I think I don't know what, what you feel, Jane, but it does feel like there's a level of optimism that wasn't there at the start of of January. Yeah, I think the 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 vaccination program has made a massive difference. I know not everybody can get it as quickly as they would want to, but you know, I think I think it's given us that light of hope um you know as a healthcare communicator obviously i'm going to uh, urge caution and everybody shouldn't be having street parties but it you know it will make such a difference to to everything right yeah. um you know i think that's I think that's why people are feeling slightly more optimistic. But I think this third lockdown has been really hard. It's been tough, hasn't it? Tough. And we'll definitely talk about that. 
So thanks for the quick fire round. That was really good. Um, I love your <clears throat> I love your answers there, uh, particularly the hedgehog. Um, I can see a little graphic, the mental health hedgehog um, that uh, my colleague Harar is. Uh, will we'll start thinking about producing, I reckon. So um, we're going to talk about intent. We're going to talk about intent health. We're going to talk about your mission, your journey, um, a little bit around the purpose of organisations and the power of storytelling. Um, but let's let's just start with you personally, because I think it's it's a lot, sometimes we jump straight into work and what we're doing professionally and what our what our overall mission is. But you know, we, we've connected around your your personal story and your personal journey with with mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, just just talk us through that as much as you're happy and, and comfortable sharing, Joan. Yeah, no, of course, and I am fine talking about it. Um, potentially not on live TV, but we'll see. Um, you know, I think. Lots of different things. I come from a very chaotic family. Um, when I was eight weeks pregnant with my third child, my partner died of a stroke. So within two hours, he was there and then he wasn't, uh, which obviously was a massively shit thing to happen and really hard. Um, I think after lots of therapy and reflection, my survival instinct that kicked in <clears throat> around that time in order to get through the day, you know, hold down a job, bring up three kids with a brand new baby, two toddlers, blah, 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 has created some behaviours through necessity that has impacted my mental health in the workplace in later life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, and this is a new revelation for me, um, but relatively new. I think my, if I'm under pressure, I go back to that survival instinct, which is just to get your head down and just do everything and get on with it and don't don't take a breath, don't stop. And I think, you know, people who've worked in agency life, agency life is brutal. Yeah. It's, you know, it's claimed to be a client service industry and therefore it's brutal. Well, that's not actually true. And that's why I'm trying to create an agency that does things differently. But, you know, a couple of agencies ago, I had my first ever panic attack. Um, I was completely burnt out. I had to take a month off. Actually, in that month, I resigned because I couldn't, I couldn't see a way out of the pattern. Um, and I think that that is what happens to a lot of people when you're working in such a high-paced, high-pressured industry, um, particularly if you're chasing new business, working for clients. You don't stop and breathe. And I think, you know, the last... Yes, I'm setting up my own agency. Yes, I'm working long hours, but I now have the self-awareness when I need to stop and when I need to take a breath. And I think by talking about it and being open about it, I know the way that I work, right? Um, I do full on, full on, full on, and then I have to stop. And, And that's the way that my head works. It's the way, but now I know when to stop. And before I didn't know when to stop and it nearly broke me and it took me a good month of doing literally nothing to get my head back together and go back into the workplace. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this so thank you for sharing that. There's so, there's so much in there. And, um, you know, this is the second time I've heard you um, share, share your story and, you know, it's, it's just, it feels incredible as to how you could have coped with that situation. Um, and I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, it must have been a, an immensely difficult thing to go through. 
and and that get up and you know that just get up and go and think I've got to keep going keep going because I guess you had to right you had to I didn't have a choice <laughs> yeah you didn't have a choice and then you've stored up you know the, the the mental health challenge that will follow on from that because you haven't had actually had the scope the time the ability to to process it properly at, at that stage and um when, when you st- when obviously it started coming out in <clears throat> excuse me in terms of a, a a panic attack and um how did you sort of realize that you kind of needed to take a step back and needed to to kind of focus on your self-care so i think if i'm brutally honest that first time round, and i did take a month off but I didn't associate that with mental health. I just thought I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, when it bubbles up these days, I get incredibly anxious. I have issues. We've talked about loud noises. I have issues with train stations, which is totally irrational. But anyway, I do. Um, and it became it got to the point about two years ago when it's it's out of control and just going to work on the train was just too much and so I've been doing CBT which didn't massively work for me I know it works for lots of other people I've just started doing um, EDMR which is amazing and life-changing from my perspective Um, but also this whole working with my coach this whole piece around being aware of your body and being aware of your mind and therefore knowing that you know it's okay not to be okay to steal the time for change phrase um but also it's actually okay to say sorry guys I can't do this client meeting today I just can't um and to be able to say no and to have that network of people around you that it's okay to say no it's okay to say I've worked too hard this week. I'm going to bed this afternoon. And, you know, obviously to all my clients out there, <laughs> we will cover the workload. But, you know, I, I, I do think that what has come out of COVID is we've all started to see each other as human beings more in the workplace specifically. And I think, you know, I would hope that if my client's having a bad day or if I'm having a bad day, that there is that level of understanding and that understanding about people's mental health that it doesn't make you weak to be having a bad day it doesn't make you a bad leader it doesn't make you a bad client um you know it just means that you're a human being and you know you are susceptible to ill health whether that's physically or mentally yeah yeah absolutely i I just the there's a book out there, I can't remember the name of the author, but Depression is the Curse of the Strong, I think is the title. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, actually, we're, we're not weak, those of us that suffer with a, a diagnosable mental illness, nor are the people that might experience a period of mental ill health because of the pandemic. Um, actually, sometimes people like you and I can push, push, push and um, actually not take the recovery. And the strength is actually being able to say, no, I need the recovery. I need, need to go back yep. to bed. I need that day off. And you're right. I think the because the pandemic has forced all of us to think about our mental health in a new light and we've all struggled a little bit depending on our situations 
I think there is a greater level of empathy for those that struggle more regularly. Um, and that's the big hope going forward that that translates into a kind of a little bit more human workplace and society and world yeah. where we, we all look out for each other a little bit more. Um, again, thank you for sharing it. It's, it's really powerful stuff. And, and so talk, talk me through that sort of journey to, to, to recovery. And I know recovery is, is an ongoing thing that we, yeah. we need to keep doing and we don't always get it right. And um, no, I'm not there yet, mate. Yeah. I'm not there yet. But, but, but talk, talk me through that sort of journey as to, you know, the progress you are making and have made and, and it, you know, you've touched on some of it, but what does that look like for you? I think it's a, I promise not to swear, so I won't. <clears throat> <laughs> you know historically I'm dreadful at asking for help yeah. because I go into survival mode and you know it, yeah, even when I had my kids on my own you'd come around the house would be immaculate it would be homemade pasta it would be all this all that you know no you know no asking for help no getting people to help me so I think that's a big been a big part of this for me is actually I do need some help. I can't fix myself. Um, and then really, you know, I guess talking, getting a network of people around me that I trust mm. and, you know, that support me. And I think one of the things that I think people don't necessarily get is sometimes you just, you don't want an answer. I don't need you to find me a solution. I just need you to listen to what I've got to say. And I think people, because we're human, are always trying to fix things. And sometimes it's just that admission that actually, I don't think you can fix this, but can you just listen to, to what I'm saying in the moment? And, you know, I think, you know, as I've said, EDMR has been amazing for me, um, you know, talking therapy, but also it's that self-care and being, you know, intentional about self-care, which, which I'm learning, right? I'm not very good at self-care, um, but I'm getting better. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, it's easy to hide behind setting up a business and being really busy. And, um, but it's just, you know, and one thing that's really worked for me, which I find hilariously bizarre because I'm rubbish at mindfulness, totally useless at it. My, my therapist is like, Jane, it's not a test. You can't fail at <laughs> mindfulness. But we found this three-minute mindfulness. So I will log on to a Zoom call three minutes early, do three minutes of mindfulness like four or five times a day, and it makes a massive difference, a massive difference. And for me, because it's only three minutes, I can deal with it and I don't feel fidgety and... You know, yeah. you know, because I think it's it's like going to the gym, isn't it? It's such it's a big deal that you just say, I haven't got time for an hour. I've got everybody's got time for three minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's micro steps, and 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 sometimes yeah. we think that the the journey required is so big that we don't start at all. Whereas yeah. the benefit you get from even a minute of focusing on your breath before a Zoom call is is immense. And I think mindfulness is interesting because you can get mindful moments in many different ways. You can get it from gardening. I get it from DJing. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm mindful when I'm spinning a few tunes on the decks and I'm not thinking about anything else. That's a really mindful yeah. moment for me. Um, the other bit that has resonated both strongly with me and um, on, on the chat on the live is um, this idea of not being able to fix. We're not qualified to fix. You know, that's what psychotherapists are for and, 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 and yeah. counsellors and mental health nurses we're qualified to be human 
we're qualified to listen um and and you're right that's kind of what we need and very quickly we try to often go to fixing people and thinking we can't fix people and i often use the analogy of cancer that if a friend phoned you up and said unfortunately i've been diagnosed with cancer what you wouldn't do is worry about whether you could diet, prescribe a course of chemotherapy or or how to do yeah. you would say that's really rubbish um let me give you a hug or a virtual hug or whatever you can do these days i'm here for you let's chat um so it's it, it's it's this i think with our mental health we've got to get away from the fact of being fearful or, or even trying to fix because we can't do it but what we can do is listen we can be there yeah i completely agree completely agree um so we, we, when when we also first started talking you you um you you knew about the inside out leaderboard where we publish a list of of role models who are open about their challenges of mental ill health you said i'm i'm keen to keen to be on that list and which you will be for the coming year so my gratitude for that and and thank you for doing so what what motivated that for you jane and and why do you think it's important for our leaders um when it feels right for them to to be more open about their their challenges of mental ill health i think it's massively important and i have probably been talking openly about my mental health for maybe the last four years always you know time for change day i'd be up on the platform talking about all this stuff because I think it normalizes the conversation. It also shows vulnerability in leadership and this whole thing about leaders have to be strong and can't be human is bullshit. Um, and potentially enables other people to talk about their mental health. And I think it's really important and you, you're completely with me on this that some people don't wanna talk about this stuff and that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, and you're bit around I'm not, I think the thing that I learned the most about being open about my own mental health was people would come to me and talk to me about their mental health and I'm not qualified to, I'm a qualified mental health first aider, mm. but I'm not qualified to do anything other than listen and signpost to people that can actually help. But the fact that they felt comfortable talking to me about it is a brilliant step. But I think, you know, my learning around that is that it's incredibly emotionally draining to have lots of people come to you and want to talk about things that are really deep and important to them and very impactful. And I have to learn how to not take that emotional baggage to me. Um, <clears throat> and I think even that conversation out loud is really important because if you've got a friend who's in trouble or somebody at work who's in trouble, you don't have to carry their baggage for them. You, it's that you need to be there and listen and know when you need to take action if it's obviously a serious situation. But it's not your job to take on their their mental ill health, right? It, yeah. it, it really isn't. Yeah. And that it can, when I first started doing this, I found it incredibly emotionally draining really really hard because i was the only person in the business talking about it yeah. in a business of 200 people so 
Yeah, I, and again, um, every, every 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 time you you say something, there's about three different things that I want to pick up on, uh, which is brilliant. Um, but uh, you know, for me, um, it does happen, and I think we need to call that out: is that when, because of the stigma and because people are so repressed about mental ill health, and and have, for years have felt we can't talk about it, when someone does share their story then it opens up the floodgates because immediately you've created a safe space. That's the safe spaces we talk about. So whenever I share my story to a group, I will get a number of people sharing back or uh, feeling they can talk about their challenges. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a real privileged position to be in. But I also recognise, A, the, the boundaries of what I'm qualified to talk about. Yep. Um, and, and I see it as my job to inspire people to go and seek help from professionals when required. Um, but I also think that there is, I talk to a lot of uh, you know, fellow campaigners who get something called kind of storytelling fatigue, you know, where you're telling your story and that sort of the elation of telling it and then the reaction. And I, and I think it's really important that when we have people in organisations who are sharing their stories of mental ill health, that a they're in a good place when they do it and they're properly supported through that process which is something i'm quite mindful about of of when when we publish the leaderboard is making sure that people are in that 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 good space yeah. um, <laughs> it's important isn't it yeah and i think there's there's lots of parallels with um you know talking about racial inequality disability you know it is to tell your personal story out loud is hard right yeah. I think you know you and I have done it so many times that we're probably slightly um well, I don't know what the word is I don't know we're used to it but it still makes me feel emotional I feel emotional about it now and you know that's that is and I know because I know myself these days is that I will have to go and do something in the garden for an hour after this just to you know decompress yeah. and that's fine because I know that now yeah you know I know that if I've done a big client pitch I need time to decompress um otherwise my anxiety will take over yeah yeah and and you touched on identity and we've we've had uh, the wonderful Shireen Daniels on on this show as well um and I think there's, there's a big bit around when we can come out and be open about our challenges. For me, uh, I see that the power of those, that those mental illnesses is slightly diminished because we're also then not pre pretending to be something we're not. Have, have you yep. noticed that since you, you've been more open in the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and even silly, it's not silly for me, but, um, you know, small things like, if we're going to a client meeting and we have to get on a train, my team, not my new team, because we've never been on a train together, but my team know that I need to hang on to somebody because I'm anxious. Yeah. And rather than pretending, um, if if I'm open about it, they know that that's what's happening, right? And they know that I will never go on a tube to a meeting. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Um, and it's just those things become, if they're out in the open, then I'm not having to pretend that I'm fine when I'm not. I'm not getting to a client meeting in a complete state because I've been on the train and and I haven't acknowledged the fact that it makes me nervous. Um, it just makes it easier for me and makes them understand why I'm not acting in a weird way. I just, um, you know, I'm, it makes me really anxious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that 
you know, layering on a, 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 a need or a perceived need to hide that is just going to kind of just amplify it, isn't it? So yep. I think that's one of the one of the benefits. I noticed that since I've been open, I get less episodes of depression, full stop. Um, yep. And yeah, part of that is 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 because I, I can be myself, which is which is what we want to do. So let, let's talk a bit about your your, your business, uh, your new business. And again, when we first started talking um, and you were telling me that you were setting up this new uh, PR agency, PA agency, PA, PR agency focused on the healthcare sector with diversity, um, inclusion, um, equity at, at, its, at its heart. Um, and, and you had this idea of setting up this accountability council where you've got me from a mental health and well-being perspective. You've got a number of people from the, the sort of LGBT and the, um, you know, kind of anti-racism movement, Shireen, we mentioned, to advise you and to hold you literally to account on, on setting up this business. And I found that absolutely fascinating, pretty groundbreaking and, and really commendable. Talk us through this 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 idea to do that because setting up a business in a pandemic is tough enough anyway, um, yeah. and, and you know you you've got a really admirable mission that obviously is pretty tough to implement. So to talk us through that, Jane, is it's really fascinating. So I think you know the kind of the the journey or the I hate the word journey, but the story or whatever. Um, I've been in healthcare comms agency side for. 25 years this year which is quite a long time actually um always agency always healthcare fell into it because I love it um came out of my last agency in June and was I guess a bit jaded a bit cynical a bit tired um you know I find it incredible that in 2020 of the PR industry was still 92% white still 40% privately educated people um, and how how can we create campaigns that reach if you're trying to particular not particularly in health it doesn't matter whether it's health or toilet rolls right how can you create campaigns that need to reach a multicultural society if the people that are creating them are 92% white it mm. just doesn't make any sense to me at all so I really maybe I'm getting old um, I wanted to create an agency with a social purpose that's really important to me um, I could have built an agency in five minutes with people that I already know but that's kind of not the point the point is and the social purpose of intent health is to build a team that is truly diverse in all aspects of diversity um, because we will then be able to create campaigns that resonate with a multicultural society and that's that's the the kind of the, the business model, the social purpose side of it is all about, I would say, opening the doors wider to enable more people to access the industry than do so now and are able to now because of unconscious bias or just bias or they went and didn't go to the right university or they haven't got a degree or, you know, whatever. So working really, really hard to think about how do I find this raw talent? How do I make a space where we can develop that talent? Um, so working from a recruitment perspective, working with the Taylor Bennett Foundation, who are amazing, working with Genius Within, who helps people who are neurodivergent get into 
jobs, working with Even Break with Jane Hatton, who is also phenomenal, which is um, a, an organization that helps people with disabilities get into the workplace, you know, really trying to take away those barriers to recruitment or to getting into the industry so that I can harness raw talent and create amazing work for my clients. And I think, you know, I get actively cross when people tell me there's no there's no pipeline of talent there's no diverse talent out there i i set this business up in october there are now 15 of us over 60 percent of us are ethnically diverse over 50 percent of us have got a visible or invisible disability and i include mental health in that we have fantastic representation from the lgbtq plus community you know it's it just takes a bit more of effort but I can guarantee you a hundred million percent the conversations that we have as a team and the ideas that we have and the pitches that we put together for clients are so much richer and so much stronger because we all have different life experiences. Yeah. And that's really, really important. Now, when I set this up, I, the most dangerous thing in all of this is to assume stuff mm. You know, I am not black, I'm not gay or whatever. I do not know and I would never be arrogant enough to assume what different types of people need as employees. And that's the reason why we have the Accountability Council, because I need people around me who are not paid to tell me what, I do, what a great job I'm doing, but are there to say, actually, Jane, this you could be doing this better this should be different this is what you know and and you know they're all there Shireen Rita Jane you you know to hold me to account and I take that very seriously because I can't talk about equity and, and inclusion if I don't seek advice from the people from different communities and that you know that's the whole business model and I have to reflect that in what I do and I think you know where you know, where we're going is really to think about actually, it's not just young talent that's important. There are so many things in the PR industry that means that there's a drain of talent, whether that's around flexibility in terms of parenting or whether it's ageism. You know, once I'm nearly 50, what am I supposed to go to, to a PR? old people's home and you know drink gin you know it's just not it's not a thing right I never could have set this business up before now because I wouldn't have had the self-confidence and self-belief to do it so really you know my vision is that we set up some kind of social enterprise that sits alongside intent health but that is there to find raw talent whether that's you know returnships or apprenticeships or whatever you want to call them and we spend time with my senior team training that talent and yes bringing some of that into my business but really releasing that talent out into the world of PR and comms because you can't you can't change I don't want to say I'm changing the world but you can't change the status quo if you just do it for yourself and for my business. Mm. This has to be bigger than that. It has to be about, you know, if I can train, say, 10 people within my business, why can't I set up a social enterprise, and it's not set up yet, it's on my list, um, that trains 40 people a year 
and 10 of those then come to me or go to wherever you know and I think that's how you're going to improve diversity in this industry mm. is by actually doing something different and not just sitting in the corner moaning that there is no diverse pipeline because it's just not true yeah wow right uh, again which which strand do I pick now Jane it's brilliant so <laughs> first of all I'd like to just say congratulations um, on what you've achieved in such a short amount of time um, and you know the 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 mix of individuals of people of humans that you've put together there in that time by as you say ma just making some effort and i think you know it's 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 it feels a bit like a daunting task but you've you've started with a blank sheet of paper you've started with some advisors and you've gone and done it um and you've shown it can be done and you will show that it can be continued to be done and i'm really interested in exploring a little bit the um the the point around the, the the different ideas that are now being brought to the table on projects because we've got a much more diverse um set of workers set of colleagues um can you give us an example of of of, of something like that that you've just noticed actually the fact that we have got a, such a different uh, set of people in this business have, have come up with this particular idea i'm really keen to just hear an example of it if you've if one can come to mind I think there's there's two there's two there's two different strands to this, right? One is lived in experience, and by pure utter coincidence, um, we've won a client in a disease area that two of my people in the team have personal experience of. That wasn't planned, it wasn't staged, it's just happened. However, the insights that we have now been able to get into that disease area and a specific ethnic community have been so rich because they've lived with it, they, they've been near it, they know how it feels, um, which meant that we won a piece of work without a pitch because we just blew them away. The other thing for me is really actually about helping clients think about accessibility in a different way. So again, by complete coincidence and no staging, you know, I have a lot of people who are neurodivergent on my team. Um, and it's very sadly refreshing for clients to, for us to say, you know, actually, um, you know, the way that you've written this or the way that this looks is really inaccessible. Um, we have somebody on the team who is hard of hearing. And again, similar, you know, clients aren't thinking in that way because their agencies aren't thinking in that way. Now, there's a massive argument that says clients should be pushing for agencies to be more diverse and all of that stuff, which I completely agree with. Um, but it is astonishing to me that these conversations are not being had. Um, and even at the basis level of PR, you know, in my previous life, when did I ever go to a client with a media list that included disability media or ethnically diverse media like Black Ballad or, you know, Galdem or Gay Times or whatever? You know, you're just missing. <laughs> you're missing a trick for a start, right? Yeah. But you're just missing a whole, not everybody, shock horror, reads the Daily Mail or the FT, right? You know, it's so there's tiny, tiny little things that have a massive practical impact, but actually the the just the richness of the conversations in the team are incredible. And because some of them haven't come from an agency background, they're not 
tainted with the, well, we've always done it like this. So let's just recycle that pitch that we didn't win and sell it to somebody else, which is not unheard of in my industry. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of love coming through for your approach um, on, on the chat and your, your friend Andy Brown has tuned in and will be sharing this oh, approach him. with the, uh, with the uh, inclusion group at Anglian Water. So um, it's been well received um, by me uh, primarily as well. Um, what, what, I, I get you know I get the vision. I'm, I'm I'm so bought into the vision, and and I get the benefits. What about the challenges um, you faced in in you know the last few months in implementing that vision? What have been the most difficult things that you've had to overcome? So I think the biggest challenge for us, and I think this is indicative of the world we live in, I guess, is because I bang on about diversity, inclusion, representation people take the assumption that we are a DNI consultancy and we're not we're a communications agency that wants to reach a multicultural society but I think the fact that we're being pigeonholed is indicative of of people who think that only DNI specialists should be talking about representation and inclusion right which kind of speaks for itself and there's the reason why we exist in the first place um, so I think that's the other big thing for me is I've hired 15 people that I've never met face to face. That's just tough. It's tough to onboard people. It's tough to, you know, we've done a, the best job that we can, but you know, I've got people, this is their first ever job. Um, you know, they've not been in an office before and they can't obviously be in office at the moment. That whole inspiring people by being with them and having that collective energy is is missing and I think when we do all come together it's good for me it's going to be incredibly emotional um, because this is the realization of something that you know I've built and it still feels slightly abstract because we haven't all come together you know I'm still in my little shepherd's hut by myself um, even though I have 15 employees. So, you know, that for me is the toughest bit, most definitely. Yeah. And I, it's, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? I, I had a conversation with someone I would count as a, a friend and, and a really good contact in what we do, a chap called Jack Green. And um, we did this whole series of, of recordings in the wellbeing space. Mm. And towards the end of it, Jack, Jack pointed out to me that we'd never met and, and I didn't believe him. I'm like, We've never met in person, and and yet we we are forging these relationships in uh, over Zoom and over calls, and it's uh, I think it's going to be really overwhelming as we were discussing at the start when we actually start seeing these people that we've actually built a really good relationship with, and yet we've never physically given them a hug, right? Yeah, and just we were on team drinks the other night or oh, a couple of weeks ago, and we were like, oh my god, you know. I don't even know how tall you are and I was like do you, but do you know what I mean that physicality and for the record I'm pretty short um but you know you don't you don't get that it's a bit like watching a soap opera and then bumping into a you know the main character in Oxford Street and they don't look anything like you thought they looked like right it's weird yeah absolutely um you've, you've touched on this a little bit um I'm really interested in this point around you know how large corporates can be better where it comes to the inclusion agenda and it clearly is on the agenda for many many businesses and rightly <clears> so you've obviously started from the ground up and you're achieving uh, your vision and you know there's there's a long way to go I'm sure 
how can large corporates do better in um, on this agenda based on um, you know what what you've experienced in, in in starting from scratch and I think you know for me there's there's a, there's a connected bit around this which is you know around actually if we can create environments where people can be themselves as we were discussing we can then create environments that are mentally healthier and people feel yep. um, you know, feel like they belong um, and that will impact their, their mental well-being so how can corporates be better from from where they're at and you know the the, the challenges of this is the way we've always done it yeah and i think in all honesty it's so much easier to start from scratch um, because I can build this in the way that I want to build it. I think there's, and a lot of this is Shireen's territory, um, and it's, you know, not my area of, but there's a lot of just, I would say, structural, I don't know, structural approaches, the way, if we think about this from a mental health perspective and not necessarily from a kind of race and sexuality perspective, you can have as many policies as you want, but if people are too scared to take you up on them or too scared to have a conversation with their line manager because they think they'll be penalized, you know, for me, certainly, and this is personal, it's all about the strength of your line manager, mm -hmm. right? And how they take a coaching approach, how you feel you're able to talk to them, Yes, I think it's really important that the senior leadership team are open as much as they want to be about mental health, but also there has to be, you know, there has to be an action. Yeah. It can't just be a policy. Go and see page seven of the handbook. That's our mental health policy. Actually, you know, last, this month, I can't remember now, this month I said to everybody, take the day off take a paid day off it's compulsory I'm taking the day off we've all worked our socks off you know have some time away from your laptop just take the day off and I'm paying you to go outside or do whatever it is that you need to do um, and I think you know if I acknowledge that it's important to me then it makes other people it gives people permission yeah. right to do but it has to flow you know it's easy for me well, easier there's only 15 of us right if there was 15,000 of us then you have that's when it you become reliant on the line manager culture and the coaching which is embedded and then you know what I think is being driven because that's where it falls down right I can stand at the top sprout all this stuff off believe in all of this stuff but if my if my team leader's either don't believe in it or don't think it's a real thing or don't know how to implement it then it's not gonna work yeah. and i think that's when big corporations find it really tricky yeah i think i think that's right and again a few things in there the, the blockers are often at the line manager level um there's a comment on the chat there from uh, pavlina around psychological safety so people can feel they've got the confidence and and, and leaders can create that permission um, but we do have to, in large organisations, break down any blockers at the line manager level with 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 training and culture shifts. I love the idea of closing the office. I've seen big corporates do that as well and give time off where yep. everyone feels 
confident that look the office is closed we'll we'll get the work done around it but we're going to have a break for our well-being and i think messages and and, and gestures like that are really super important um and you know i think that the the more and more leaders that, that get behind this the more then we can influence that 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 structure of the of the organization um but you're right i think sometimes it can be blocked at the line manager level um so it is 12 51 i can't believe it 51 minutes have expired since we've uh, put first put on that. it feels like five minutes to me no um, i know and, I, and i'm starting to understand why um um uh, people like uh you, you know, kind of rich roles do the long form podcast of 90 minutes because i could chat to you for 90 minutes um but um one final um question for you really in terms of the communications industry has a role to play in, in how society changes, but specifically on mental health and creating mentally healthier workplaces and societies. What do you think the role of the comms agencies are and the comms industry is in that? Oh, okay. Um, I think as an industry versus as an employer, I think as an industry there's a lot of stuff in here. There's a lot of stuff about acknowledging that mental health is as important as physical health. There's a lot of stuff around when you're working for clients is about trying to create, you know, we're all about creating authentic communications campaigns. I think, you know, a lot of campaigns that are out there are trying really hard to be inspirational, but actually make people feel worse because they haven't, climbed up Mount Everest or done whatever they've done I think it's you know it's about normalizing the conversation it's about you know supporting some of the great charity work that's out there um, and encouraging your clients to you know join the leaderboard do talk about you know when did you ever see a CEO there are some I know that um, that stand up in a town hall meeting and say you know, it's not been a great week, but, you know, with the energy in this room, I feel better, blah, blah, which is what you're all about, right, Rob? It's, it's about, you know, really being, feeling protected, as somebody said on the chat, enough that you can say, actually, I'm a bit of a six, you know, yeah. it, because, or I don't know why I'm a bit of a six, I just am today, right? Yeah, ab absolutely. And we, yeah, I think the good thing is we are, seeing more leaders behave that way and and saying i don't have all the answers it's tough for me to um uh, but here's what we're doing about it and yeah collectively let's 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 you know get each other's backs right um so we're yeah. seeing more than that i'm hopeful for that um so we'll we'll put a link in the show notes for for how uh, people can uh, find you but what's the uh, what's the website address if people want to google you of course, it's www.intenthealth.co.uk. Um, and my last plug, we've got an amazing piece written by um, a fantastic girl on our team coming out on LinkedIn this afternoon around um, medical racism and vaccine hesitancy. So go give that a read because it'll wow. be good. Wow. So uh, make sure you tag us in and we'll share that for you as well. So yep. uh, keen to have a look at that. Um, Jay Brady, thank you so much. Thank you for amazing. sharing your time, um, but also for all you're doing in, in leading the way 
to create a truly inclusive uh, and representative uh, workforce and work culture. So brilliant. Next week, we've got um, Catherine Switz, who is CEO of the Stability Network in the US, nice. where, which we've, uh, an organization we've partnered with, a charity, um, and they're all about using storytelling and advocacy to uh, further the mental health agenda. Um, the Inside Out Leaderboard will be um, inviting our members to to join the Stability Network. So we're going to hear all about that. Thanks for everyone tuning in on the live. It's been great. This is the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about our well-being and our form. Thank you so much. Cheers, Rob. Thank you. Thanks, Jane.